Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I'd like to start out our study in Psalm 51 with basically in light of what's been going on in our world for the past few years, even the last few months. And you go, well, like, what's going on, Pastor Ben? What are, what are you talking about? Well, it's no secret, guys, that there's been a lot of things that are happening all over the world. It's on the news and because of, you know, because of the Internet and Facebook and all of those things, all these media outlets, we get, we get news at real time. We can see what's happening in the world. If there's going on, we can see it. Well, in light of that, guys, you go, well, like, well, like what? what? What's been going on? Well, do you guys remember a few years ago there were the blood moons? Do you guys remember that? You're like, yeah, I went out and I saw that. It was creepy. Now, now listen, listen. <clears throat> the blood moon in itself, guys, is not a big deal. We've had them for years, okay? There's always been a blood moon. But here's what I draw your attention to. When you have a tetrad of blood moons, then I think we need to stop and we need to pay attention. Just a tetrad. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, what I find interesting on the blood moons, I find it very interesting that they were tied into the feast that Israel participated in. You go, well, like what? Well, and you can jot this down if you're taking note. If not, just listen up. It was Passover, April 15, 2014, when we first saw the first blood moon. It was on Passover, April 15, 2014. We saw a total eclipse. It was in Australia and the Pacific and the Americas. And then the next one came just a few months later, guys. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, October 8, 2014. Of course, total eclipse, meaning it was completely red. The blood completely it looked red, and we saw that on the Feast of Tabernacles. And then the next Passover in 2015, April 4th, we saw a total eclipse. And, of course, it was visible in Asia and Australia, Pacific, and the Americas. And then the last of the Tetrad was, was on the Feast of Tabernacles, September 28th, 2015. Okay, and you're like, what does that mean? Well, a blood moon in itself, you're like, okay, but a tetrad of them based on the Feast of Trumpets, you're like, or based on the feast that Israel participated in, you're just kind of going, okay, wow, that's, that's interesting. And I'll never forget, Nathalie and I, we went outside and we were sitting on the truck and we had the binoculars and we were looking and it was just, I mean, you, you just kind of felt something was different. You're just like, whoa, something's wrong. Well, then, fast forward to this year, we saw, guys, in our world, and what, August 21st, 2017, was a what, a total solar eclipse go through, and you go, well, no big deal, Ben, I remember when I was in elementary, we made those little boxes, and we could see, you know, we never looked directly at them, but coupled what was already going on in our world, I believe, guys, that the Lord was trying to get our attention. And the Lord is trying to get our attention. You go, well, well, like what? Well, jot this down. There's a couple of scriptures that kind of come to mind, and I put them here. It's Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. I did go back, guys, and look at it in context. But chapter 21, verses 25 and 26 says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and the earth, and on the earth distress of nations. Perplexity, the sea, the waves roaring, 
men's heart failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Okay, so Luke, in, in the context of what he's talking about of the rapture and the second coming, all coupled in there, he tells us, now listen, I think God's wanting to get our attention. There will be signs in the sun. There will be signs in the moon. We see that. And in the stars, you go, well, in the stars, I hadn't seen any stars. I mean, I don't know if you know this, guys, but how many of you knew that there was an asteroid named Florence that passed by the earth about 12 days ago? Anyone? Exactly. This, according to NASA, Florence was the size, Florence among the largest near-Earth asteroids that were several miles wide. And it had kind of come by. Now, it was far enough where they didn't alarm anyone, obviously. But it was, it was Florence. And you go, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know. But I do know that it's like, okay, there's going to be, what? There's going to be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. The earth, the earth, um, notice, and on the earth, distress of the nations. We see that. You go, how do we know that one word? Charlottesville, right? Distress among the nations. And then, of course, you go, Ben, well, what else? Well, of course, we know this. Then we had Hurricane Harvey. And what did that do? Well, it was poised to go through Corpus Christi, made a little bit, and what did it do? It just pummeled our one of the largest cities in the United States, Houston, Texas. And we're still trying to recover from that. Churches all over the United States, and of course Texas has been together and they're sending people down there. And if you have Facebook, you can see a video of people working and working and working and working, and we're good at that. And just last week, if you recall, after the hurricane, there was an 8.1 earthquake there in Mexico. And it shook the foundations of the world. And of course, before we even blinked, there was another hurricane. It was Hurricane Irma in Florida. And just a week after Nathalie and I left Florida on a Friday, that came pumbling through. And I mean, it was, we all watched it. I mean, it was devastation. And now while Hurricane Irma, and we were praying, and it was downgraded from a 6 to a 5 to a 4 to a 3, and we're just like, thank you, Jesus. There's also another hurricane out in the Atlantic Ocean named Jose. And people are watching that one. Well, another scripture comes to mind, guys, and it's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 27. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says this, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Verse 26, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will, not, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Pastor, your point? Guys, here's my point. I believe in this day and age, at this time, I believe that God, guys, is trying to get the world's attention. I think a lot of people are so busy doing their life that we're, we're missing it. 
As a matter of fact, you guys remember, it says, as in the days of Noah, what was going on in the days of Noah? People were busy just like us. People were what? They were giving in marriage. They were getting married. They were having babies. They were trying to families. They were trying to make ends meet. They were trying to get to college, trying to get a career. They were taking care of sicknesses. They were, they were doing everything we were doing. And, and, and the word of God tells us, as in the days of Noah, so will the days be. And we can see that today. Why? Because God is shaking the heavens and people are continually missing it. They're missing it. So here's my question, church. If God is speaking to the world, what do you think he might be saying? You're like, Pastor, I can't answer that. Well, I'm not one to speculate on what he may be saying, but if I were to be a guessing man, okay, just my opinion, I'm going to stand right here, okay, not behind the pulpit, it's just my opinion, I would say that God is speaking to us and he's saying it's time for us to come clean. It's time for us to come clean. You go, like, what do you mean? What he's saying is, listen, it's time for us to come back to God. Come back to God to confess our secret sins and run back into the arms of God. I believe he's shaking and he's telling the whole world, listen, listen, it's time to come back to God. Church, we have become so anemic and so... Um, powerfullessness, however you want to say it, powerless, because we have not been on our knees, because we have not been listening to what God wants to do in our lives. I think the church realizes now, oh, God is speaking and we want to step up. I've told you this before, and this is heavy on my heart. What is God saying? I'm saying it's time for us to come clean. Time for us to come clean. Time to dig deep in those recesses of our heart that we don't allow anybody in because if we did, it would bring up some ugly things in our lives. And I want to be sensitive to that. But I believe if God is shaking the heavens and the earth and he wants to speak to us, what would, his, what would, what would he want to say to us? He would say, it's time to repent. It's time for us to come clean. You go, Pastor, is that what, it's, is that what Psalm 51 is all about? Well, as a matter of fact, that's where we find David in Psalm 51. That's where we find David. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me give you the backstory. You can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And while you're turning there, in the previous chapter, David should have been out in battle with the rest of the kings. What would happen in Israel church is that Israel would go to battle with the Ammonites, then winter would come, and they would actually take a break during the winter months. Okay, it's cold. We'll fight next spring. And then they would go back to battle in the spring. Well, in the spring of the year, David should have gone out. Guess where he was? He's in the palace taking a nap. David, what are you doing? You're a leader. You need to be a leader. You need to be in front of the troops, showing them what it means. And I think there's a great application for us men is that we need to step up and be leaders. Leaders in our homes, leaders in our community. We need to be leading our family. Why? We don't want to be home taking a nap. The world's going. There's war going on. David, you got to go. And what does he do? He gets up, he stretches, and he looks down, which is easy to do in Israel. If you ever go, you can see. And he sees Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath. You guys know the story, right? The problem is Bathsheba's married. 
He doesn't, David's like, I don't care. Look at her. Wow. I want her. Bring Bathsheba. And you know what? Bathsheba comes. I don't know. I mean, it takes two. Bathsheba could have said, no, 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 you're the king. I can't, I'm married, king. She comes. He sleeps with her. He commits adultery. Guess what? He finds out she's pregnant. What? But you're married. I know I'm married. Your soldier, Uriah, is out fighting the battle. David, now what? Okay, what do I do? 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 I got it. Bring Uriah. He brings Uriah in, right? He tries to get him drunk. Go sleep with your wife. Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Why should I? And you guys know the whole story. The whole story. And so, again, think about that, guys. He, he committed adultery. Then he sends. He's like, I, I don't know, man. This guy's righteous. I don't know what's, I know what I'll do. I'll send him to the battle and then he'll die. He commits murder. Not only does he commit adultery and then impregnates Bathsheba, but now he's going to murder Uriah, one of his top guys. You're like, I didn't know this. Well, he gets away with it from man's point of view. And isn't that like us? I got away with that. Nobody knows. Well, a year goes by, guys, about a year goes by, and David realizes, I'm feeling old. Whew, I'm just, and, and he's feeling old because of, uh, because of his secret sin and his guilt. And he writes in Psalm 32, 3 and 4, he says, when I kept silence, my, bro- my bones grew old, though my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. He says, think, Selah, think about it. He's like, man, you know what? I knew the Lord was convicting me. I knew. I said, no, no, no. Because when Uriah died, he said, now I'll marry Bathsheba and everything will be fine and I'll raise the kid. Well, it's mine. I'm going to raise, that'll be my kid. It'll be great. Nobody will know the difference. And then he realized, man, I, Lord, I used to, used to get up and run five miles, and this last year I just don't feel like doing anything. Why? Because he says, man, I'm just tired. I just feel like my bones are getting old, and your hand was heavy upon me. Here's, the, here, here, here's what you got to grasp. At this point, before he writes Psalm 51, he is still doing okay. He's not going to confess it. He's like, okay, still... David, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. How are you? Praise the Lord. Well, God loves us so much. And you need to understand that his light of glory and love, he loves us so much that he doesn't allow us to stay the way we are. And he will keep, and he will keep knocking with love. He will keep intervening in our lives to get us where we need to be. He does that. And we find it in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Notice what it says. Then the Lord, everybody say Lord. That's the Lord sent to Nathan, sent Nathan the prophet to David. And he came to him and he said, notice he's, he's in the king. He's, he's talking to King David, right? Can you imagine? Here I am sitting at my desk 
You know, Josh answers, Calvary Chapel, this is Josh, right? Yeah, this is the White House. Can we speak to Pastor Ben? Uh, Pastor, it's the White House. It's Washington. I get it. Hello. Hey, Pastor Ben, can you go speak to the President of the United States? Uh, What do you want me to say? You need to say that he's in trouble. Who wants that job? I'll be like, uh, this is Josh. Uh, Ben's not here, so... uh, Well, no, no, but that's what he's doing. Think about it, guys, because we think it was easy for a prophet to go into, and he comes in and he says, okay, I'm just not going to go, hey, David, what did you do? He doesn't notice what he does. He tells David a story. He says, there were two men in a city, two men in one city, a rich and a poor, and the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. He says, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up with him, and it and with his children, and it ate from his own hand and drank from his own cup, and it lay in his bosom, and the, the lamb, it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one of the wayfaring men who had come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come. And David, notice, so David's anger was greatly aroused at the, against the men. Notice, he's like, what? And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. David, that's huge punishment. David's just outraged, right? Are you kidding me? You have a rich man who had plenty of, of, of lambs and everything. He had everything you could ever want. And he takes from this poor man. He steals from him? Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. Not in my house. He's going to die. He is going to die. Not only is he going to die, but he's going to restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and he had no pity. Look at verse 7, guys. Then Nathan said to David, You're the man. You're the man. And I don't know how David felt, but I can tell you what I feel when the Lord convicts me. I probably turned two shades wider. The blood leaves the head. Why? Because the conviction sets in. Can you imagine? Kill that guy. Who is this guy? And he goes, David, you did that. And he's probably thinking for half a second, what, did, what are you talking about? But under the power of the Holy Spirit, guys, we go, oh, no. I'm busted. Can't be trusted. Right here. Right here. David, you're the man. And now he, and, and, and again, if Nathan would have told me, you're the man, and walked out, I'd be happy. Okay, let me see what I can do. But, he's, but, but listen, he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. Not just one wife. He says, man, you've had it all, David. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight? And you have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Can you imagine right there? God says, David, I saw you do this. I saw you do this, David. You killed Uriah the Hittite. I mean, again, <sighs> and you've taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart your house, David, and it didn't, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, at this point, I know David's convicted, but here's what I see in the scripture. 
the Lord Jesus never says, you took Bathsheba to be your wife. We all know that's her name, right? But he keeps reminding her, she was married, David. You took Uriah, the Hittite's wife. Uriah, you remember Uriah? And he's like, yes. He says, behold, I will raise up an adversary against you from the house of from your own house, and I will take wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. Notice verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. And I bet David went like this, have mercy on me, Lord. However, because this deed you had given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, there it is again, bore to David, and it became ill. This is nuts. Let me take you back on a journey. David used to sit, guys, under the stars as a little shepherd boy and worship God. He knew God's heart. He knew God's voice. And he worshiped him, and he would sing worship songs. Not just 20 minutes. He would worship him, and he was one. And now all of a sudden, guys, he found himself a little bit wayward, a little bit different. Something's not right. I can't believe this. What's going on? And David's sitting there, and now he's like, My heart hurts. My head hurts. I can't believe this. Why? Because he's been hiding his sin, his secret sin. He hasn't been paying attention to the heavy hand of the Lord. He hasn't repented. He hasn't been broken. La, 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 la. Not listening, Lord. Not listening. La, 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 la. I'm okay. Everything's good. I've got Bathsheba and, you know, we've got a child. And now the consequences of sin. But here's what I want you to see before we jump into our message. David confesses, he said, I have sinned against the Lord, and, and here's the mercy of the Lord. The Lord has put away your sin. There you go, amen. And he says, David, you should die. Now, here's what you need to get. Here's what you need to grasp, church. Here's what you need to get, okay? You need to realize, okay, that there are consequences to our sin. The Lord forgives us, but there are still things we have to go through because of our choices, because of what we've done. And I'm going to be honest with you. We've all done them. We've all walked in this way, and there's consequences. David will face those consequences. And part of those consequences, guys, was what? This child that we don't know what his name is or anything, he dies. Even though David intercedes. But there's hope at the, at the end of the story. And you go, why? Because Bathsheba's going to get pregnant again, and she's going to get pregnant with another little boy. And his name is Solomon. And he is the one who actually builds the temple for the Lord. And, and you've got to see grace in this, because if you don't, you're going to go, man, that's it, that's it. But David understands what he needs to do. And so... I realize that, and so I entitled this message, It's Time to Come Clean. For we discover that after all that David went through, he actually writes this. Psalm 32, verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, 
my iniquity I have hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity and my sin. So he writes that in Psalm 32. So we know, we know he's like, it's time to come clean, David. That's what Nathan comes here, and he talks about. So then he goes on to pen Psalm 51. Now we know that Psalm 51 is when David, when Nathan came and went to him after his sin with Bathsheba in the murder of Uriah, as well as the secret sin of hiding it from others. And so David writes, okay, I'm busted. This is all coming to an end. And he writes this. Now note his confession. If you're taking note, point number one, I want to draw home as he says, cleanse me, cleanse me. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here's what I want you to note, guys. All confession starts out with a cry of mercy. And David is no different. He says, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, God. The title of this psalm gives a tragic context for David's plea. Why? Because, guys, he had sinned. He was a murderer, adulterer, and he was covering his sin. And the hardness against repentance, it took a bold confrontation from Nathan to come in to shake him at his core. And once shaken, David came in great honesty and brokenness before God. My point being, guys, listen, the world, the Lord is trying to get our attention so that we can come clean and we can be healed. So we can walk in victory once and for all. If you'll ask people, they'll give you a hundred different answers of when Jesus is coming back. And they'll always come back with the Jewish idiom, right? No one knows the day or the hour, so I don't know. But they'll say, he may come back a 100 years from now. But what if he doesn't? Are you going to walk those 100 years, whatever life you have, whatever life spent in those 100 years, are you going to walk in, in, in defeat and broken and the heavy hand of God? Or are we going to be able to just confess our sins to the Lord and, he, and, 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 and fall on his mercy? But see, we're like, we're a lot like David, guys, when covering our sin. And what happens is when we cover our sin, when we have secret sin, when we hide, when we lie, when we do all of this like David did, can you imagine what he did? I mean, think about this. Think about the funeral of Uriah. Here's Uriah's family. And they're mourning their son, and there's David the king, knowing he did this. Can you imagine as they went to the widow, Bathsheba? We're so sorry. And David on looking, just looking, thinking, I know what my next move is. I'm going to marry her because I don't want to look like I messed up. I don't want to look like I sinned. I don't want to look like I, after all, I'm the king. And so David's hardness of his heart, and he comes and yet we're a lot like Davis, guys, when we do that. We're a lot like David, and so the hardness develops against repentance, and yet the Lord Jesus, he's so good that he shakes the earth and the heaven for us to come clean. Now, here's what I love about the Lord. We don't have to have an earthquake or a hurricane or a comet or a blood moon for us to repent. All we have to do is listen to the word of God 
and allow the Spirit to get deep in our hearts. And I love the fact that forgiveness is, is according to the... Notice, he says, he says, forgive us according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Why? Because a lot of times we feel like we should ask forgiveness based on our works, based on who we are, based on what we've done for God. Lord, forgive me because, you know, I was a pastor and, you know, I, you know how sheep are and it was real hard and, you know, and, and David doesn't even, he didn't, he didn't even say I'm the king. What does he say? He says, your tender mercy, God, your mercies. I'm going to fall on your mercy. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said, quote, men are greatly terrified of the multitude of their sins, but here is a comfort. Our God hath a multitude of mercies. If our sins be in number as the hairs on our head, God's mercies are the stars of heaven. So we don't have to hold on to this, guys. We don't have to hold on to this. David goes on to say, blot out my transgression. You go, what does that mean? It says, it means to wipe away from your remembrance, but also from my own heart. Wipe away. Why, guys? Because we hold on to things that we did. We hold on to, we go, man, I should have been better. Man, I could have, I should have said this. Man, I should, oh, I can't believe I acted that way. David says, blot it out, Lord, from your remembrance, but take it away from my heart. Take it away from my heart. Wash me and cleanse me, he says. The word of God through Nathan the prophet worked like a mirror. And that's what it should do, guys. Work like a mirror to show David basically how dirty he was. David, you're the man. And the word of God does that to our hearts. And so David says, wash me and cleanse me. From what, pastor? Guys, notice how David used several words to speak of his offense towards God. And you go, what do you mean? Well, a lot of us go, God, forgive me of my sins. David says, no, 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 I want to make sure I'm clean. And he uses the word transgression. You guys see that? You go, what is transgression? Here it has the idea of crossing, you know, crossing the boundary. Here's the line. Okay, transgression is here's the line, and you sort of wander. It's like, oh, <sighs> he uses the word iniquity. You know what iniquity means? Iniquity knows you know where the line is. You know that's sin. You look around, you go, I want to do it anyway. And you jump over. David knew. David knew adultery was wrong. There's the line. Adultery's wrong, David. Could you imagine his servants? Uriah the Hittite's wife is here. David. Shh. You're fired. You know? Because he knew, and he still went in. And then he uses the word sin, right? Sin. You go, what is that, right? It's falling short, missing the mark. We just missed the mark. So David employs all three. But at this point, guys, we got to applaud our boy David. Why? He's not holding on. He's not hiding any longer. Why? Because now he continues to move to confession. Look at verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Guys, this is deep. This is deep. Why? If you're taking note, here's what confession means. Confession is connected to the acknowledging of a matter and refusing to hide it. You go, what's the difference? There are so many times we'll simply acknowledge what we've done, but we won't confess it. Why? 
Because when we confess it, we're still hiding it. David's like, nope, nope, it's all out there. I have nothing to lose, man. David says, no, 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 no. Why? Because it's connected to acknowledging a matter and refusing to hide it. Confession is the opposite of covering sin. It's the opposite of denial. I love that, that, that David goes, David, you're the man. I know. And I just really bummed because, you know what? My babysitters used to pin my diapers too tight and I just never got anything I wanted and I'm just really not happy. And, it, and this is why I say, he doesn't do that, does he? He just, he, he just says, oh my goodness, Lord, yes, I'm so sorry. He doesn't deny what's happening. He doesn't blame somebody else. Guys, confession is the act of making something known that might otherwise be hidden. Sometimes we feel like confession is simply saying sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Confession is going, no, notice, notice, David. Look, guys, it's right here. For I acknowledge my transgression. He says, my sin is always before me. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Lord. What does he say? Against you and only you have I sinned. Do you guys see that? Whoa, whoa, pastor, I thought he was, I thought he, he, it was, it was Bathsheba. I thought it was Uriah. I mean, I thought it was the whole family. All sin is a sin against God. The first thing we do, guys, in confession is get right with Almighty God. The second thing we do is get right with the person we offended. When we hide sin, when we have secret sin, is when we try to get right with somebody without getting right before God. You see, I want this relationship to be all right, but I don't, I don't know what God would do with it. I, and guys, I, I know, man, we've all walked through this. We've all walked through it. We're all hiding stuff. We're all, why? We're afraid of the consequence. Oh, Lord, what's going to happen? And that's not who God is. The devil's come in and said, listen, if you confess and you get right and you walk on that path, you're going to lose everything, man. Don't say nothing. And that's not who God is because we're going to see that here in just a minute. Notice, when we sin against God, we have to do a couple of things. We have to do a couple of things. You go, what's that? We have to suppress the truth and question his character, just like an idol, right? When we sin against God, we have to, we have to what? We have to suppress the truth. Why? Because we know the word of God. What's the truth? I don't know. I just hide it over there. And then we have to question his character. Well, if God really loved me, why, 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 why can't I do what I do? If you have a gambling problem, guess what? You still have to what? You still have to suppress the truth of God and you still have to question his character. Any type of thing, I mean, any type of sin. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't David. What was David's sin? Well, I thought he had sex with Bathsheba and killed him. Those were, those were what? Those are definitely, obviously, surface sins that everybody knew and everybody saw. But there was much more going on in his heart. Much more going on in his heart. So what happens? Notice what he says, that you may be found when you speak 
and blameless when you judge. Here's what I want you to see. David's confession of sin was not only to relieve himself. Can I get an amen? But it was also to bring glory to God. You go, what do you mean? Guys, when we come clean, when we confess, you go, what was confession again? Remember, confession is connected to acknowledging a matter and refusing to hide it. What happens? What happens? We not only get relief from God, he comes in and floods us and cleanses us. But guys, more so, what happens? We bring glory to God. The guilt and the shame are gone, and, and, and God gets the glory. And David goes deeper than ever before. And you go, why? Because I want you to notice the depth of David's need. You go, why? Well, listen, so many people feel like they have sinned, and it's so deep and so secret that they can't come clean. But David teaches us that God reaches down to the very depths of our sin to forgive us. And I think we're living in a day and age, guys, where we need to continually ask God to forgive us and to walk in his glory. You go, how so? Look at verse 5. Behold, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. I like the way one pastor, he put it like this, and I quote, David wasn't born out of a sinful relationship. That isn't the idea. Neither is the idea to excuse sin by saying, look how bad I started out. What else could be accepted? Here's, here's what he's saying. The purpose was to show the depths of his sin, that it went beyond specific sinful actions all the way to a stubborn sin nature, one he was born with. It was to show the depths of his sin. And David goes on, he says, you desire the truth of my inward parts. Through the sin nature was deep within God, David wanted to work even more deeply in him. God wanted to work more deeply, even though, and, and here's the point, even though our sins are deep, God wants to work even deeper in those sins. There is no hidden parts from God. So what happens? What's the first thing David does? Confession. But now, guys, he prays for restoration. So if you're taking note, here's what we're going to do. Restoration, basically, he's going to, he's, we're going to see restoration through, through a blood sacrifice. Why? Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, he says. I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Guys, if you have a pencil handy, what is David? David is crying out to the only cleansing that he knows, right? Why? Because it was the Levitical law that offered priests who used hyssop to purify or to sprinkle the purifying water. That's how we do it, hyssop. They take hyssop. Remember they used hyssop to put on the doorposts, right, for the Passover? That's all David knew. And so David cries out, he says, he says, purge me, purge me. And yet, we have the spotless blood of the lamb to cleanse us from our sin. So we go from the blood sacrifice, now we see a, rest, a, restor, we see a restoration of heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. 
and renew, notice, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me in your generous spirit. David felt like it wasn't enough if God simply cleaned up the heart he had. Can I get an amen? You see his plea here. What's his plea? I don't want you just to clean this heart. Here's what he's asking God. Create in me a new heart. Create in me. How do you know? The word in Hebrew is bara. It's the same word used in Genesis chapter 1. Create out of nothing, Lord, a brand new heart. Create in me a pure heart. You go, what's that? It's my will, my feelings, my intellect. I want all of that pure. It's not enough just to cleanse me. It's not enough to take a shower, if you will. I want to be cleansed from the inside out. And don't, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Think about this. Where do you think David is thinking, right? Okay, now, Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't resurrected. He hasn't sent the Holy Spirit like you and I have. The Holy Spirit lives in us, convicts us. So what's David talking about? Because you and I go, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, Lord, please. So he's probably referring to King Saul. Remember when, when the Spirit was taken off Saul, King And David's like, I remember that. I don't want that. Saul was nuts. He started off very humbly, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was going to be a great king. And now look what happened. So David says, Lord, he says, take not the Holy Spirit from me. And he says this. He says, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me in your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. Guys, sin will always steal our joy. Sin will always steal our joy. Sin will always steal our joy. When we don't confess, we're, we're bummed. We're, I, mean, I mean, think about that. He says, restore that, uphold me. He says, when, when, when I have the joy of your salvation, when I know the grace of God lives in my heart, he says, then, then, I'm going to teach transgressors your way, and sinners are going to come to you. Think about this, guys. In the many months of unconfessed sin, David felt the misery of what? Probably spiritual defeat. He wanted, once again, the joy to appropriate to salvation to those whom the Lord rescues. Notice the dark days of David's secret sin. David was not able to teach those who were far from God. How can you witness and share and love when you're in the midst of... And and, and here's the problem. Listen, the Lord is saying, wake up, church. Wake up, world. Wake up. Come back. Come to get clean. And people are going, eh. All right. That's all good. You know, I mean, we've been seeing blood moons for years. We've been seeing, you know, what I mean, there's every year at this time, we know there's hurricanes. I mean, I mean, even if you go on Facebook, you'll even hear people say that man made Hurricane Harvey. And I'm just like, I don't know how that happened, but maybe. But that, you know, they're saying that. I'm just like. I think the Lord's going, hey, 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 it's time to come clean. Guys. 
Make sure you are right with God so he can restore the spiritual blessing so that you can teach and share others the love of God. Now, let's close, guys. Let's close with these few verses. And then I'd like to spend just a couple, few minutes in prayer. I've got about three minutes to close and about 10 minutes to pray. David says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall flow forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. Isn't that an amen? David could do all of that, right? He's the king. He says, but you don't desire it. He says, and you don't desire, you don't desire, you don't delight in burnt offering. And he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion and build the walls of Jerusalem. And you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offerings. And they shall offer bulls to your altar. You go, Pastor, what did he just say? He says, here's the sacrifices of God are these guys, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. A heart that's ready to move in what God is telling us. This is opposed to a heart that's hard or stony. A contrite heart is a heart of flesh that's heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. David knows what it's like to repent. David knows what it's like to feel the conviction. David knows, here's the end result, guys. The end result is that, is that we have a God right now who stands with his arms open wide, and he says, all you have to do is come clean. I have to do is come clean. I have to do is confess. Don't hide that anymore. Don't hide it because I want to restore the joy of your salvation. I want to restore the joy of your heart. I want to restore your walk with me. I want to restore just our relationship and, and, and those things that you keep hidden, they're, they're hindering my walk. They're hindering me to come in and move mightily in your life. And so that's where I want to leave you tonight, church. I want to leave you guys. And I want to ask you, I just want to pray with you. I want to invite those who want to come clean with God tonight. You go, Pastor, how? How? Listen, you don't have to stand up here. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to say, hey, I want to do this. Here's, Here's what we're asking, guys. Here's what we're asking. Guys, just come clean before God. Just come clean. God, show me, Lord, if I'm hiding anything from you. Show me if there's any hindrance in the way of getting closer to you. And I want to confess that to you. Lord, there it is. I confess that. Boom. You see, guys, let me, let me illustrate it real quick. If I wanted to get to that back wall, I have several rows of chairs that I got to go over. And so instead, I want a pathway to say this is what it is. Because God's going, that's exactly what David, we don't, want, we don't want a Nathan to come knocking at our door, do we? Because he's telling us right now, tonight's the night. And so we looked at what's going on in the world in light of Psalm 51, and we said, okay, we need to repent. We need to be right with God. Well, pastor, quit saying that word. That's not how you grow a church. 
I'd rather stand before five people and tell the truth than 30,000 and say, and not bring up the word repentance because the Bible brings and talks about repentance. And so we need to be broken, church. We need to be broken. We need to be like David. Lord, what do you have for us? And so, guys, we have about 10 minutes. And so what I'd like to do is if we can just pray for each other. We can pray for each other. If we can have, like, if this group right here could come over here and gather around and pray here. Josh, you can lead them here. Santos, if this group will come over here, and we'll just pray, and I'll dismiss you at 830. But let's lower the lights, guys. Let's put on a little bit of soft music, and let's pray with each other. And if there's anything we need to confess, just you guys come over here. Come over here. Now, now Santos is, is going to help you. You go, I don't want to pray out loud. You don't have to. Just gather together as a body of Christ. Gather together. Gather around. All of you right here. Don't, let's not, let's, guys, move the chairs. I don't care. Spend time praying. And let's seek the Lord for repentance, for brokenness, for a contrite spirit. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you, Lord. Help us to listen, God. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.